Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Thankful for the presence of the Lord in this place today. How about you? You know, my heart is so full of gratitude today for the way that you, Bethesda, have poured out your love on Becky and I in this season that we would have never chosen or designed, but nevertheless, we were here. We're not the first or the last people who've hit challenging days where it seemed like literally everything fell together at one time. I know many of you have had that situation, and that's been our journey over the last month or so, but the story here is not us. The story is you. It's the way you've prayed for us and the way you've helped us and tangibly and in ways that are really beyond measure, in ways that we could never repay. And so this morning, Becky and I just really want to say that we love you more than ever and we thank you for the way that you've prayed for us and supported us in these last um, few days. And though I could point to any number of people or any number of uh, situations that have expressed love to us, there's nothing that does it more than what happened two nights ago, Friday night, at Walmart. Um, and it just really, it was, it was astounding to me. It was late. Becky and I were both exhausted from a long day, but nonetheless, there was that list of seven or eight things that, that uh, we really needed. You know, you, gotta, you always have to have life's essentials, right? Cat food. Um, <laughs> animals are very important at our house. You must know that by now. Now, be honest with me. Have you ever, uh, have you ever had to run an errand and you pulled in the parking lot, and before you got out of the car, you prayed this prayer, Dear God, please don't let me run into anybody that I know. <laughs> Come on, anybody? The rest of you aren't telling the truth. I'm grubby, I look terrible, I'm, you know, I, I'm exhausted, I'm a little grumpy, I just want to get my stuff and get out of here. Well, that was me on Friday night at Walmart. And I was almost finished. I thought I'd made it. Almost finished with getting everything on Becky's list. But there was one more item to get. And if you know Walmart, the cat food's on a three-mile walk on the other side of the store. So I was going over to, you know, to get the last couple of things. And I run into a family from the church. And from the look on their face, it was obvious to me that they had prayed the same prayer in the parking lot that I had prayed. (laughs) Hello, Pastor. How are you? They were no more excited to see me than I was to see them. <clears throat> but we got over that pretty quickly, and we just started to check on each other. Well, how, how's it going for you? How are you doing? Well, okay, and then how are you doing? And, we, and I listened to their story, and they were asking me a bit about mine, and they had their 11-year-old son who was with them, and right in the middle of me giving them my update, that 11-year-old boy reached up and grabbed my hand, and he said, Pastor, can I pray for you? And I said, of course you can. I said, sure. So standing right smack dab in the middle of Walmart, close to the cat food, (laughs) that 11-year-old boy prayed a prayer that started like this. He said, dear God, I pray for my pastor in the name of Jesus. I pray that you will rejuvenate that nerve And I looked up at his grandmother as if to say, where did he learn a word like that? And I honestly can't tell you what else he said after that because it didn't matter. I was so overwhelmed and overcome by the way his heart was reaching out to me. And I'm going to tell you this. I I walked out of there with all my stuff, got in my car, and here's what I said to the Lord. I am so thankful for the church of the Lord Jesus. 
I am so thankful for the body of Christ, and I'm thankful for the privilege of prayer, that it's not just for old geeks like me. It's for young. The young can pray. It's not just for those of us who have been Christians for decades and we've learned how to pray. It's for those who just met Jesus an hour ago. It's not just for the educated. It's not just for the uneducated. It's not just for the rich. This privilege of prayer is not just for the poor. It's not just for the Hispanics. It's not just for the blacks or for the whites or any other people group. It is for whosoever will, will call upon the name of the Lord. I want us to understand today that prayer is a privilege. It is a sacred, precious thing that we have to hold. It's not an exercise confined only to the four walls of a church, this one or any other church. It has no confinement of space. When I think about the privilege of prayer and how we are blessed just to be able to call upon the name of the Lord, you can lift up your voice to the, to the Lord anywhere. It has no confinement of time. Heaven's hours of operation are 24-7, 365 days of the year. And those of you who, like me, have been awakened in the middle of the night with an incredible burden of prayer or with a heart so heavy that you didn't know what to do, you will, I'm sure, join me today in being thankful that He never sleeps and He never slumbers. His ear is always open to our cry. Prayer is a privilege. I'm going to say to you what I say to myself. May we never cease to be amazed that we have a great high priest who is ever making intercession for us and that we have one who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. There is a comforting verse in Scripture that is well known to many of us. If it's new to you, that's fine. It's certainly one I recommend that you learn. If you're new to Scripture and learning Scripture, I'm, I'm going to recommend this one very highly to you. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to what we call the Upper Room Discourse. It's the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. And I'm assuming this morning that you don't mind if I preach all five chapters since I've been out of the pulpit for a while. I thought I'd make up for lost time this morning, okay? Yes, I hear the nervous laughter across the room. No, don't get nervous. I'm not preaching all five chapters. But toward the end of this discourse is chapter 16, and that's where I'm going to ask you to turn. John chapter 16 is where we're going today, because there is a statement made here by our Lord Jesus on this subject of prayer, and His statement profoundly reminds me of the privilege that we have in prayer. Those of you who are connoisseurs of the old hymns will recognize this line, what a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. John chapter 16, projection if you would help me put it on the screens, starting with verse 20. I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. This is Jesus talking. But the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. No one can rob you of that joy. 
I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that there are things within, inside of me, that no one can take away. Nothing, no circumstances. I have memories, pleasant memories. I have a joy, I have a peace within that nothing and no one can rob or take away from you because of Jesus. What verse am I on? 23. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly and He will grant your request because you use my name. Now, you haven't done this before, but ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Say this after me, ask using my name and you will receive. One more time, ask using my name and you Occasionally, I get asked this question. Pastor Dan, what is successful prayer? I know we have this prayer service on Sunday night. I know we turn in prayer requests. But what is, what is successful prayer? And that's easy to answer. Successful prayer is answered prayer. It is when God answers prayer in His way, in His time. I can't talk about this without thinking of my, my dear father who was a pastor all my life. His favorite hymn was, "'Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus." But he had a chorus that he sang all the time. It was his favorite, and it was this. Hallelujah, he's an answering God. Hallelujah, he's an answering God. I prayed in Jesus' name, and then the answer came. I can hear him singing it right now. Hallelujah. He's an answering God. And how wonderful it is, church, when we see God begin to bring answers to our prayers. One of the things we do in our 6 o'clock prayer service on Sunday night is make place as often as we can for testimony. When we see the Lord bring answers to so many things that we've been praying for. We prayed for that baby that we dedicated this morning. His entrance into this world was a little rocky, but you saw him today. Gorgeous child. That's because of the Lord and what the Lord has done. We prayed for other children that have been part of our fellowship, that have been, for whatever reason, afflicted with disease and other difficulties. And one by one, we are watching the Lord heal them and bring them to wholeness. And we want to do that and say, look what the Lord has done, and give testimony to the grace of Jesus. But have you ever noticed something that I think is kind of funny that happens to us? We know how to ask. We know how to pray. We just don't always necessarily know how to expect answers to our, our prayers. If you're like me, you prayed for God to do something, and then He did it, and it just shocked the fire out of you when He did it. It surprises us when God answers. I get articles <clears throat> sent to me all the time, and someone sent this to me. There was a church in North Carolina that bought a building. But after they bought this building, and it was next to some other buildings, a triple X movie theater moved in right next door and played their movies. So the church started to pray that God would shut down the business of that theater. And in one week, lightning struck just the triple X theater and it burned to the ground. So guess what happened? The theater took the church to court. And here's how it played out. The church said, it wasn't our fault. And the triple X people said, it is your fault because you prayed and God sent lightning and struck our building and it burned down. 
so here's the church saying, it wasn't us. Here's the triple X people saying, it was you. You caused this because you prayed. But the big kick of the whole article was what the judge said. The judge said, well, how about this? We've got a church that doesn't believe in prayer and triple X movie people that do believe in prayer. Let me just say it to you this way. Bethesda, if we pray for God to shut down any of the vile wickedness of this city and God does it, send me to jail. And who's going with me if he does it? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. He's an answering God. We have the privilege of prayer. Somebody put your hands together and bless the Lord for that today. Come on. Now, that's the receive part of this verse. Ask and you shall receive. It's the privilege of prayer. But how many of you know that when we read that verse in the Bible, ask and you shall receive, it may take us only about three seconds to read it, but for most of us, the reality of it is that between ask and receive, it doesn't feel like three seconds. It can seem more like three years or even, or even longer. So I'm asking for just a moment today, this morning, to zoom in on this period of time between ask and receive, because my guess is that there are a lot of us in this position today that are between ask and receive. If you find yourself like me in that period of time between ask and receive, I think it's a fair question to ask something like this. So what goes on in that period of time between ask and receive? And what's happening then? What's taking place at that time? I had reason to be digging through an old box of long play records. Does anybody remember what a long play record even looks like? It's about this big. It goes round and round on a record player, and it played music. Nobody remembers that? Oh, my goodness. I was digging through an old box Becky was having a garage sale, Lord help us, and there's an old box that came down out of the attic and had long play records, and I was trying to figure out, you know, do you want to let these go? Well, I saw some from Big John Hall, saw one had with a Theta, Theta had a solo record there, saw Dawn and Faith Dunlap, saw several from Andre Crouch, several from Walter Hawkins and Tremaine, the Lanny Wolf Trio, Dallas Home, am I saying any names anybody knows? Anybody remember Evie, Evie Tornquist? And then there was a few others, like the Letterman, Aretha Franklin, the Doobie Brothers. I'm sorry, they were there. <laughs> None of your business about the others. They were all, it was good music, trust me. Steve Fry was in that pile of records. But the record that put a smile on my face <clears throat> was one by a name that I'm not sure many of you will remember. Her name was Danny Bell Hall. One time she, at one time she was, uh, she was with Andre. Do you all remember Danny Bell? You're too young to remember Danny Bell Hall. Sweet thing. Oh, she had a precious voice. Then she went on to be a solo artist and she made several recordings. But of all the songs that Danny Bell recorded, and I sat there and looked at this particular one, there was one that literally seared my heart that she sang. It's from Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't 
get discouraged and if we don't give up. The Apostle Paul is talking to people who are between ask and receive in this Galatians chapter 9 verse, chapter 6 verse. He tells us today, you and me, who are between ask and receive. We have some instructions. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. You may have to fight every urge to want to give up. You may have to fight every tendency, every inclination. But he says this, there is a harvest of blessing that you are going to reap because God is at work on your behalf, particularly when it doesn't feel like it or look like it to you. Thank God for that. You're just between ask and receive. And there's all kinds of things going on between ask and receive. Some of you may have seen that documentary that was recently on, uh, on an, the fastest animal on the face of the planet. It's the cheetah, and it can reach speeds of 70 to 75 miles per hour. But here's the interesting thing that I noted. It has the smallest heart, and if it doesn't catch its prey within a certain amount of time and it keeps running, it will have a heart attack and die. That's why it spurts out running after something, but if it doesn't catch it quickly, you'll see that it backs off because it runs the risk of losing heart, which says something to us today. As believers and followers of Christ, we should be constantly praying. Hear me, hear me. God, enlarge my heart. Don't let me become faint of heart, even as I'm in this season between ask and receive. And if there is prey, P-R-E-Y, that you're going after, if there's something that you're believing God for, then pray, God, P-R-A-Y, God, don't let me go after and then give up after three days, assuming that it's not going to happen. God, enlarge my heart. It's part of the privilege of prayer. So what is between ask and receive? Let me offer you a couple of ideas before I'm going to Go to another idea before we close today. That doesn't mean it's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. Don't get excited. What happens between ask and receive? Number one, first thing on my mind. One of the things God is doing in this season between ask and receive is this. He is readying you. He is preparing you for the answer. God is too smart to put something in your hands that you're not ready for yet. And every parent in the room ought to understand exactly what I'm saying. So God, your heavenly Father, not only knows what you need, He knows when you need it. But in our microwave mindset, we focus on, on the what and, and mistakenly make the presumptive assumption that the when should be right now. We must remember, church, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows so very well that for him to give you this job, this position, this mate, this marriage, this whatever, he's first got to work something out in you. He's got to prepare you. And the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to get today what God wants to give you and yet not be ready for it to be delivered into your hands. There's a work that God is longing to do deep within all of us. And there may very well be pain inflicted upon you in the process. What I'm trying to say to you is this. The readying process of God 
may very well look and act a lot like pain, be it physical, emotional, financial, relational, or any of the other possibilities. When you are between ask and receive, God is readying you for that which he wants so much to give you. But you and I get so focused on getting the microwave answer, you know what I mean by that, getting it right now, and not embracing the whole of what Christ is wanting to do within us. Just like many of you, I'm between ask and receive. I didn't ask for this physical issue. I certainly didn't choose it, but it's what I have. When I went for the post-op meeting, my expectation, my daughter was with me, that they would check out the incisions, it looks great, now go have a happy life, glad we were able to help you. That's not what happened. Instead, they told me to expect a recovery time of 12 to 18 months, and that's assuming this nerve is not already in my back, to, down through my leg, is not already too badly damaged. The surgery at least released the impingement, and trust me, I'm very thankful for that. So the surgery was successful, but I have a journey ahead of me, still with the doctor's restrictions. And though I am more than confident that the Lord is going to heal me because I know the great physician, nevertheless, like many of you, I am between ask and receive. But I have made a determination that I'm going to fully embrace Whatever it is that the Lord is going to do in this process. I didn't say I was going to like it, but I said I'm going to embrace it. Why? Because I have a heavenly Father who knows what's best for me. And I believe that to the core of my being. And nothing or no one can take away from me the joy that he's going to give me in the process. Ask and receive that your joy might be full. When God is delaying and answering your prayer, it's not because he's angry. It's not because he doesn't hear you. It's because he is your father and he's good. And you're simply between ask and receive. You're in the readying process. He's working out something inside of you. Somebody say amen to that. Well, that's one thing that's going on between ask and receive. I got another one. You pray. What appears to be to you one thing, one simple request, but God has to do 10,000 things to get you to your answer. And we don't understand that. We don't get that. We simply pray something like, God, I need a new car. We think the Lord would just park one out there and float the keys over it and say, here it is. That's all there was to it. But rarely do we understand the magnitude of, a, of our request. And all that God has to do to swing into action. But just now, not just now, what he's doing just now for you, but what he has been working on up to this point. All the things that don't even seem to relate to the issue. He's working things out that you think really even have nothing to do with the script of your life. But it has everything to do because he's putting all things into motion to get your request to you. It's not just a matter of, God, save my child. God says, okay, I want to save your child. But what I'm going to do to save your child looks a lot like this. I'm going to have to save another young person over here who's going to witness to your child because your child is certainly not going to listen to you. 
I'm gonna, so I'm going to get this other young person saved, and then I'm going to get them a scholarship, and then I'm going to put them in the same school as your child, and this other kid and your child are going to happen to end up in the same apartment building, and then they're going to meet at the mailbox one day to pick up their mail. I'm going to arrange that. And while they're standing there getting their mail, and the other kid starts talking to your child about Jesus, and all you thought you prayed was God save my child. But God had to put 10,000 things in motion to get your child saved and to bring that child to Jesus because that's the kind of God we Sir, you may be frustrated between ask and receive, but God is busy working out all things for your good, and most of those things take time, Mr. Microwave. If we could possibly know all that God is doing behind the scenes, even today, even this very hour, we would never be discouraged Just because you don't see it, dear one, just because you don't feel it, doesn't mean that God is not active. Here's our truth this morning. God is on the throne of heaven, and we should lift our voices to say, hallelujah, he's an answering God, whether I see it or feel it today or not. What a privilege it is to carry everything to God in prayer. Chapter 6 of Joshua is where I want to finish here in just a minute. It always comes across to us that God does more things suddenly than he does gradually. Though he's working behind the scenes, what we see is the suddenly. And we get discouraged because we don't have, we're not privy to the gradually part and what he's doing behind the scenes. So we think nothing's happening while God is doing all kinds of things behind the scenes, and I want to demonstrate this as I bring to a close in a minute, Joshua, from Joshua chapter 6. This is a story that most of you know. The Israelites are standing, looking at this giant wall, wondering how on earth is this thing coming down? Well, we know it's going to be a seven-day march according to the plan God gave to their leader, Joshua. They're told to march around the wall once a day for six days, and then seven times around on the seventh day, and the wall will then crumble, collapse, and then they can go in and take the city. That's the instructions. Now, you know, i got to be honest. If I'm in the rank and file of this group, I'm probably thinking, that is a crazy plan. Nothing about that makes sense to me. And each day, what makes it worse, each day as they're walking around that wall, nothing's really happening. Nothing's happening. And so those who are the skeptical, cynical type, well, yeah, here we go again. Look, not not even a crack in the wall. Nothing happening whatsoever. Nothing through that entire time that gave them an ounce of encouragement. Nothing that said to them, well, we're getting somewhere. We're going somewhere. But let me tell you something. I want you to hear me. What you think is monotony, God is using that Not only that time, but that exercise to prepare you for receiving the answer to your prayer. God even told them in their instructions, I told you to be quiet as you march around. That means no complaining. That means no whining. No saying to each other, what is this all about? Can you believe we're having... None of that. I'm tired of doing the same thing over and over and over again. I see the same bush... I'm walking next to the same person, and I'm getting sick and tired of him. We got the same leader, Joshua. 
got the same wall. And every day you go past the same things. How many ever feel that way, that you're doing the same things? You got the same kids. You got the same spouse. You got to get in the same car. You go to the same job. You work for the same boss. And then you ladies come home to the same man and cook on the same stove. And then Sunday you go to church, to the same church, and hear the same preachers and the same choir. And we have no idea that while we think we're going around in circles and it feels like monotony, the reality is God is doing something deep inside of you. And I'm talking to the Christians right now. If you're a Christian, it's not monotony. And here's why. We think it's just turning in circles. But rather... God, who is the potter, and out of the clear blue with no instruction, Gerard takes off on, thou art the potter, I am the clay. Did I tell you to to sing that? What happens is we think we're going in circles, but God, who is the potter, listen to me, has you on the potter's wheel. And he is forming us every single day with the same choir, the same church, the same husband, the same kids, the same job, with his holy hands on you, the vessel. And while that's going round and round and round, he is shaping and forming you even in the monotony of your life. So you know what happens most often between ask and receive? The same things, the circles of life. You go to the same prayer meeting, you sing the same song, you pray over requests, you're going to shake the same hands, you're going to walk out the same door, and you're going through the same thing time and time and time again. But here's the wonderful part. The mighty hand of God is on you as you're going even through those circles to make you and form you and shape you. One little, twi- a little, little tweak right here and another one right here as you're going round and round those circles. That's the mighty hand of God that is on you, and he is shaping you and forming you and molding you to the point where he can say, now you're ready to receive that which you asked of me. That's why, that's why First Peter tells us, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that in due time he may exalt you. In just a moment, not yet, in just a moment we're going to stand. And when we do, I'm going to ask the prayer team, they're going to be here at the front to pray for those of you who would like encouragement today because you found yourself somewhere between ask and receive. Pastor Brent is going to come and lead us in just a moment. Don't leave yet. You're going to miss. If you walk out right now, you're missing the best part. I promise you. Before that happens, before we do this, I cannot address this story from Joshua 6 without reminding all of us of this most interesting, interesting point. If you don't know this story, go home this afternoon and read Joshua chapter 6. While walking in their circles around that wall, in obedience to that which the Lord had commanded them through their leader, they were told, as I mentioned a moment ago, to remain quiet. Jordan and Javon, I'm going to need you in a minute. They were told to remain quiet. Not a single word until they were told to shout. There would come an instruction when they were told to shout. Bethesda, if you are between ask and receive, then let me give you an instruction. Keep your mouth shut. Selah. If you're between, ask and receive. Look at this story. They were told not to grumble, not to complain, not to say a word, 
not to try to relate to somebody else with your problem. Keep your mouth shut. Keep a quiet spirit. Stop complaining, Dan. I preach to Dan as much as you. Quit the whining because you're on the potter's wheel being shaped and formed. Now, with no one leaving this room, I want you to stand right now. Everybody standing. As I remind you what the Israelites were told. Because it went like this. Follow me, follow me here. Day one, walk around the wall of the city. Nothing happens. Not a thing. Day two, just imagine the cynics. Just imagine, you know a few. Day two, walk around again. Remember, no talking, not a word. Not allowed, to, not, not one word is allowed. Day three, do the same thing all over again. And do it without any sign of anything changing. Everything is just as bad as it was yesterday. Day four, walk around yet again, fighting off discouragement while you walk. Fighting off weariness of heart and, and, and strength. Day five, today it's just strictly out of obedience. You've already done this four days and now you feel even stupid for trusting. Day six, surely this is crazy. I'd love to at least talk to somebody about this, see if anybody else feels the way I feel about it. And here comes day seven. Are you kidding me? We on this day now have to walk around seven times? All right, but if we do after this, I'm done. So here we go, because the instructions were this. On the seventh time, you've not been able to talk all the previous six days, and you're not going to talk the first six times around. But on the seventh time, when you go around, this was the instruction from heaven through their leader, said this, when you hear the sound of the shofar, you are to lift up a shout. Now hang on. Once, twice, three times. They go around four, five. Six, and it's time for the seventh time around. Only this time, when you hear the sound of the ram's horn, and before you see any indication of victory, and before you even see a crack in the wall, before you have an ounce of hope that this thing is going to change, that anything is going to happen, here's what you do. As you march around the seventh time, when you hear the sound of the ram's horn, you are to shout like you've never shouted before because this is going to be a shout of faith, which means it's not a shout because you've seen the answer. It's, that would be obvious. We would all shout if we saw the walls falling down. But it's the shout of faith because you trust the God who is going to bring the answer. It's day seven. You walk once, twice, three times, four times, five times, six times. But on the seventh time, you didn't know anything else was going to happen. Suddenly, you hear the sound of the shofar, the ram's horn, and you know it is time to shout.